welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series over the book of John. John is a powerful book that shows us who Jesus is. So we're calling this series, Who I Am. Through seven signs and seven powerful I Am statements, as well as through Jesus' life and death, we can see that Jesus is God. And as God, He offers eternal life to those who believe. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to go over six verses today. We're going to look at some troubling news that the disciples get, um, and we're going to see the response to that. We're going to see where Jesus points these people, meaning the the 11 at this point, not 12, but the 11 disciples that are there. Uh, We're going to see that. And my question for you guys is, where do you look when bad news comes? Or... Basically, where, what do you do when bad news comes? Or where does your mind go when you get bad news? Because we all get bad news at times, right? And so where do you look? Where, what do you do in, in these situations or these circumstances when bad news is coming in or bad things happen? Because okay? we're going to see Jesus basically uh, encouraging the 11 uh, to do what I think we should all do when bad news comes. Okay, So let's read it. Uh, let's read John chapter 14. Um, and we'll go one through six, okay? This is Jesus talking. He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, or you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for all that you bless us with, God. And I just pray that as we look at your word that we be reminded uh, to have an eternal perspective this morning and throughout our lives, whether uh, we have bad news or whether it's good news or whether we have just our everyday lives, I pray that we would um, have that eternal perspective as Jesus points his disciples to do. God, we love you and pray this all through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning, uh, we're like I said, we're going to be looking at some troubling news. We're also going to be looking at the final I am statement of Jesus, the final ego in me of Jesus. Uh, and we can see from the disciples at the very start um, that there is some troubling news, right? Because Jesus says it. Okay, uh, look at verse 1 with me. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. Okay, so don't let your heart be troubled. So there's some sort of troubling news. So the first thing we're going to look at is the nasty news. Okay, I alliterated all of these this morning just for fun, to be funny. But uh, point one is the nasty news. Okay, and we all get bad news sometimes. There are all times in our life when uh, things happen or news comes in that's bad. Okay, so the doctor told Billy... Okay, he told Billy, I have some bad news for you, and I have some worse news for you. So Billy obviously asked, well, what's the bad news? And the doctor said, well, you have 24 hours to live. And Billy's like, what in the world? If that's, if that's the bad news, then what's, what's the worst news? And the doctor said, well, I've been trying to tell you that since yesterday. 
That joke didn't land very well. But get it? Got it? Okay. Think about it for a second. All right, so we all get bad news sometimes, okay? And right here we see the bad news, and we see it from Jesus saying, do not be troubled, or don't let your hearts be troubled. So we see that there has been bad news that's been delivered, and we've been going through the book verse by verse, right? So we can kind of know what that bad news is. You guys could probably think about it right now and say, oh, I know what the bad news was that he said. But we need to, I think, always be sure that we go back and check it out, right? We need to make sure we always look at it and think about it. So what is the troubling news? If we go back in context, um, we can see, the, I think, the what and the why this news is nasty. So what is the bad news and why is it bad news, right? What is the bad news and why is it bad news? I think we need to look at both these. So look at verse 38. If you, if you can look down in your Bibles if you want to because it's right there. It's also up on the screen for you, though. This is the last thing that is said prior to when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So obviously we want to look at immediate context. Jesus answered and said, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Because Peter just said he laid down his life for him, right? We looked at that last week. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Okay, so this could be the bad news. Okay, it could be, right? This is the immediate context. Uh, Jesus tells Peter that you're going to deny me three times. Okay, but all 11 of these disciples in verse 1 of chapter 14, uh, seem to be dismayed or troubled. Okay, so, and if you uh, continue to go back, look at verse 36. Why was Jesus telling that to Peter? Why was Jesus, uh, Peter saying that he would go to the end, he would die for him? Uh, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because earlier, and let's look at this again, Jesus says he's going away. And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And you will follow later. Okay, so... This gives us a little more insight to what the troubling news might be, right? The nasty news might be that Jesus is leaving, right? Where I'm going, you cannot follow me. So it might be that Jesus is leaving and they can't follow him or they can't be with him anymore. Okay, you go back to verse 33, and that's kind of the start. And really, chapter 13 as a whole, there's a theme in chapter 13 that Jesus is leaving, okay? Because he's starting the end, essentially. Okay, but look at verse 33. Okay, this is chapter 13, verse 33. It says, Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where you are going, I, uh, where I am going, sorry, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus says he's going to leave, and that they can't come with him, and that eventually Peter's going to deny him, and he's, he's going to go away. Okay, that's, that's the flow so far. He's leaving, and this is the troubling news. So after he says all this, if you look at like verse 14, verse 1, okay, he's gone through, uh, Judas is left, right? The betrayers left. There's the 11 that are left. <laughs> okay, so the betrayers left. There's 11 people left there, okay, or 11 uh, of his disciples. And then in verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, we're troubled, okay? It's like, um, it's like dismayed, okay? It's like the word dismayed. So it's kind of like worry and anxiety mixed with sadness, Okay, that's, I, know, I don't know if that's a good way to explain it, but I think of like being anxious or worried and being sad. Okay, so these guys are troubled, and when you look at the flow, Jesus is talking, and then he just kind of says this. Okay, and so put yourself in Jesus' shoes right now and in the uh, disciples' shoes. Okay, I'm going to shut this door. Yeah, go ahead, Kelly. So if you're there, okay, Jesus is talking to his 12, and I just imagine, like, these guys, like, their face just, like, you know, going down. You know how you can tell when somebody's, like, really, like, distraught? 
Simeon can. Okay, so that's good, Simeon. Uh, you know, like you, their face just like goes, oh man. Like that's what I imagine these eleven are doing. Okay, so they're they're like, oh man. Okay, their hearts are troubled, and Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. So this nasty news, okay, I think is that Jesus is going away. He's leaving. Okay, now I want us to think about this for a little while longer. Okay, I know so far it's just like, okay, Hunter, Jesus is leaving. They're sad about it. Like, let's get over it. Like, let's move on. But let's think about it for a second, okay? Because we have hindsight, right? So we know that Jesus is going to be tortured, crucified, and he's going to die. We know that he's going to rise again, and we know all that, right? So we can see why they would be troubled if they knew that he was going to be crucified. But do they even know where he's going? No. No. I don't know he's going to be crucified. Jesus said somebody's going to betray him. I don't think they know exactly what that means. He says he's going to the Father, which they may or may not know what that means because Thomas here in just a second says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So they don't completely understand. All they know is that Jesus is going away. So why is it so troubling to them that he's going away? They don't know he's going to be tortured. They don't know all these other things. So why is it so troubling uh, that he's going to go away, or he's, he's going to go to the Father. Okay, and I think that this this is kind of a side note, but I think this tells us a little bit about Jesus' human side. Okay, Jesus' human side. They are distraught because they are not going to be with Jesus anymore. Okay, what does that tell us about Jesus? He's nice to be around. Yeah, he's a good person to be around, right? They're sad. Okay, they're sad that he's leaving because of who he is. Okay, because of who he is, because of who Jesus is. Okay, Jesus is not some ambiguous figure to them, and it's hard for us to comprehend because we we Jesus like isn't here physically with us, right? So sometimes we can make him this this God figure in the distance. Okay, but he's not some ambiguous figure to them. He's not an arrogant rabbi. Okay, he's not some cold, distant figure who only speaks in riddles they can't understand. Okay, he is a lovable missable and tangible God human right he's a lovable missable tangible those aren't even words some of those missable is not even a word I don't think but he is a lovable missable tangible God human they want to be around him they don't want him to leave okay and because of all this context I think we can say they don't want him to leave because they love him because he's a lovable guy like he's God and sometimes like movies about Jesus and like the chosen and stuff like that they do they help us to to feel that like what the disciples might feel you know because like he was human even though he was God he was human and he wasn't like some he wasn't a human like me okay he wasn't a human like you guys like he was the best human there ever was like so you know what I mean like people loved him some people hated him because of it but people loved him his people loved him because of who he was and so Jesus he gives them this nasty news that he's going away, he's leaving. Okay, um, So these guys are sad, they're distraught, but he follows it up with some terrific tidings. Okay, alliteration again, terrific tidings, there you go. Okay, Look at it in verse 1, we're still in verse 1. First he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, believe in God or you believe in God. Okay, So you believe in God, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. There's this famous passage in verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, that's verses 2 and 3, well, end of 1 through 3. Okay, so Jesus starts by saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. Some people might say, or as we look at this, we might say, okay, he's calling them to believe in him, but haven't they already believed in him as Messiah? Yes. Yeah, they have, right? Or at least we, we can assume that a lot of them have based on what we've gone through, right? Or, you know, I think all of them, but, you know, several of them, right? So we, we know that, okay? So what is he calling them to believe in? Okay, what is he calling them to believe in? We're going to look at the context, and the context tells us that, okay? But he's saying, believe in God, believe also in me. And we need to make sure that when we're going through Scripture and we're doing anything else, when we see the word believe, we don't just take it as a single meaning for the entire Scripture. Okay? And when somebody says to you, I believe, you don't just take that. Okay? Like, like, like let's say you're evangelizing to somebody and they say, sure, I believe. Like, maybe ask them more questions because that doesn't mean, what do they believe? Who are they believing? What are they believing in? What are they, you know what I mean? There has to be an object of the faith. We know this. Okay, and that faith is Jesus, and we believe in Him for eternal life. But these guys already believe that, so we're still using the same word believe, but we're, we're trusting in Him and what He's about to say, right? And so we just need to make sure that we're thinking about, thinking about the context of what are we believing, okay? And it's very important in salvation too, right? Right? Yeah, we don't just believe in God. We don't just believe in God. Okay, we believe in Jesus to give us eternal life. It's very important, right? We believe in Him to give us eternal life. Okay, But these guys, He's calling them to believe in Him also. This is what uh, Tony Evans says about this, um, this little exchange right here. Believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in other words, place your full trust in me as you trust in the Father. For we are unified in sharing the same divine nature and the same divine power. And so, um, if you look at this, okay, Jesus is saying, hey, you believe in God, you trust in God, trust in me. Because listen in verse 2. Because in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Why would he tell them to trust him right now? Because they're going to be confused. Because they're going to be confused. A bunch of stuff's about to happen. He's about to leave. It's going to be, there's going to be some stuff they're going to have to wade through mentally, right? And he's saying, you know what? This, is, this stuff's going to happen. Okay, I'm leaving. But trust me. Okay, trust me. Okay, because what I say is true. Okay, and what I say is true. And so, in verse 3, we see this promise that there, or verse 2 and 3, we see the promise, okay? In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself uh, where I am. There you may be also. So eventually they are going to be with him. So let's look at this. We're going to start in verse 2. Uh, let's start with the house or the dwelling place. I don't know what all of you guys' uh, versions say. The King James says mansion. Uh, I think NASB says dwelling place. I think ESV says rooms. Okay, so those are many things that could be the translated from there. Uh, but this verse right here is giving some people, I think, the wrong idea in the past. Okay, especially because of the King James mansion. Like you've heard people, well, maybe you haven't. It's, just, it's kind of an old saying, maybe, but. Over the hill I have my mansion, you know, or something like that, to where, like, people are expecting to get to heaven and have this huge castle or this huge mansion. But 
the reason it's translated mansion in the King James, okay, the, this word, okay, mansion, rooms, dwelling places, it comes from the Greek word that's transliterated, but M-O-N-A-I, okay, so mone, and it's translated from the Greek into the Latin Vulgate, right? So the scripture was translated from Greek into Latin first, essentially, right? So it's translated into uh, Latin, into that Latin word, which really looks like mansions with an E on the end of it, right? Which, guess what? That's where we get our English word mansion, right? But in our Western culture, okay, mansion to us is this giant house, right? When really, if you go back to the Greek word, it comes from the word abide, okay? It comes from the word abide. So it's like a dwelling place or a dwelling house or like a place, a room within, okay? And so, like Borchette, he says that the best way to translate this in like our current culture, uh, which he's pretty old, but it's still kind of current culture, uh, it would be like apartment, okay? It's like your dwelling place within God's house. You know what I mean? It's like the apartment or your room. So ESV, I think uh, NASB both do a really good job of it as dwelling place or room or something like that. Okay, so when we look at this first, we need to realize that he's not saying, I'm going to prepare this big castle for you. Okay, he's saying, I'm going so that you can have a place with God the Father in my Father's house. Okay, so he's going so that we can be with the Father. Okay, and that's important to the rest of this. Okay, it's important to the rest of this. Um, look at... Continuing verse 2, okay, so in my father's house there are many dwelling places or rooms, apartments. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, this is the second thing that I myself, and I think a lot of times it's easy to think think incorrectly about, okay, when we think of him going to prepare a place in the English and the way it's translated. A lot of times I think that, like, Jesus is going to go, he's going to get on his construction hat, he's going to put on his tool belt, he's going to get his saw, and he's going to go build me a house, Right? And he'll build me this mansion, okay? Or now that I know it's not a mansion, he's going to go build me this room. Like, he's going to go build it. And that could be part of it, okay? Because what's going to happen, okay? Uh, Jerusalem's going to come down, right? The new Jerusalem is going to come down. So that could be part of it. Okay, that could be part of it. But I think there's a lot more to it, especially as we look at the context here. Okay, what is the context? Like, what's going on? He's leaving. He's saying, I'm leaving. I'm going away. It is the end. I'm going away. Don't be troubled. I'm going to the Father. But don't worry. In my Father's house are many places. There's much room for you in my Father's house. Okay? There's spots for you to be with my Father. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If Jesus doesn't go, there is no place. If Jesus doesn't go, there is no place. So the going is preparing also. He may be building in the New Jerusalem. He may be preparing a place in that way as well. But his going is what prepares us to be able to have a place. Because if he doesn't die, if he doesn't, if he's not crucified, buried, and he's not resurrected, okay, the way is not prepared for believers to spend eternity with the Father. Right? We can't spend eternity with God, the Father. We can't go to that place without him paying for the sins of the entire world. Right? So his going prepares us a place with the Father. Okay? His going prepares us a place with the Father. Okay? For I go to prepare a place for you. 
Okay, don't be troubled that I'm going away because my going means that you get to come with me someday. Okay, if you go back to in, uh, verse 36, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Why? Because I'm going, and my going prepares the way for you guys. If I don't die, if I don't rise again, if I don't pay for the sins of the entire world, you can't be there. But you can because of, of my going. Okay, does that make sense? I think that's great context for this. Okay, and then verse 3. And if I go, which I'm going to, but if I go to prepare a place for you, if I'm leaving so that you can follow me, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay, I love this because he's like, listen guys, don't be troubled that I'm going to prepare a place for you because if I go to prepare a place for you, okay, which they don't understand all the context yet, but if I'm going to be physically tortured and separated from the Father so that you can come, like, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm not just going to leave you. Like, obviously, if I'm doing all this so you can be with me and the Father, like, you're going to be with me and the Father. Like, don't worry about it. Okay? I think that's what he's saying here. And he's talking about, hey, this is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. When he does come back, I think this is specifically referenced to the rapture, but he says, For the Lord himself will descend out of heaven, and this is Paul talking to the church of Thessalonica, uh, out of heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. If he came and did all this work for us, isn't he going to come back and get us? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. If he did all this work, aren't we going to see be with him for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth? Okay, Revelation 21, 1-4. through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And that's what we were talking about earlier. Coming down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay? And again, this may point to Jesus may be physically preparing as well. Okay? So it's coming down. And I heard a loud voice. From the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, meaning the dwelling place of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, there will no longer be any crying or anguish. The first, or yeah, crying or anguish, and the first things have passed away. Why would Jesus come down? as God, and die for humankind if he wasn't going to come back and get them. If he wasn't, if there wasn't going to be a place in the Father's house, if there wasn't going to be room in the house for people, why would he come down to save people? Okay, that's what he's saying here. He's like, guys, you don't have to be worried. Okay, because looking at the temporal, physical things, they should be worried, Right? Because he's leaving. But you don't have to worry about that because you can look at the eternal. There's a reason I came down. There's a reason I'm dying. There's a reason I'm paying for sins. Okay, And if I came down to do all that, I will come again and I will get you. So the nasty news brings around, brings about terrific tidings. Okay? The nasty news, for those of you who like alliterations, the nasty news brings about terrific tidings. Okay? My 
thought process as soon as I hit this point in preparing was, isn't that what God does? Like, isn't that like the picture of what God always does? He uses terrible, evil things that He doesn't will. He doesn't like sin, right? He doesn't cause sin. He doesn't cause evil. But because we have free will, there is those things in life. But He's so sovereign that He can use those things to bring about good, bring about terrific tidings, if you will. Okay, I have a few examples. Very limited uh, based on the scope of the Scripture. This is probably the most famous bad to good statement in the Bible. This is Joseph, right? And what did Joseph's brothers do to him? Sold him into slavery. Well, first they threw him in a pit, right? And like, they kind of, I think, got ahead of themselves a little bit on that. They're like, all right, let's throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. They're like, all right, now what are we going to do? He's in a pit, right? And someone's like, well, we'll just leave him there and let him die. And eventually Reuben, who's halfway smart compared to the rest of them, he's like, okay, I'm not letting them kill our brother, okay? So here's what's better. Let's just sell them into slavery, okay? There's some Ishmaelites. Let's go sell them. Um, actually, I don't even think Reuben did that. I think he said, let's save them. And then, yeah, and then uh, he said, Judah. He said, leave him there, and then he was going to secretly come back later and yeah. get him out. Yeah, that's right. So he's going to come get him out, and then sell him before he can come get him out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how. Okay, so uh, anyway, they do all that, and then, then uh, they all get to Egypt. He's Basically, Joseph saves all of them, right? He saves the line of Christ. And uh, Jacob dies, the father, and the guys are worried that he's going to, like, kill them now or throw them in prison or make them slaves because of what they did to him. And he says, Joseph says this to him, he says, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. This evil that you guys committed, God used it. He saved the line of the Messiah because of your sin. Okay, now that... That is a powerful, sovereign God. Because of your sin, the Messiah's line was saved. Here's another one that we don't usually think about. It's just kind of interesting to me. Okay, this is uh, Abraham in Genesis. When uh, This is the second time that he lies about his, his wife. He calls his wife his sister. Right? He does it twice. This is the second time. And when he does it, uh, Abimelech, the king, he gets sick. And eventually he finds out that Abraham lied to him. Okay, that was sinful. It was wrong, and it was evil. But look what happens because of it. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. What? Like he just lied and sinned. Okay, and he restored his wife Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, "Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please." To Sarah he said, "Behold, I have given your brother, meaning Abraham, her brother slash husband." A thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all with you, and before all men you are clear. So God used Abraham's sin to make him more wealthy and prominent in the land, which would be used later on. Okay, it's just kind of interesting. Okay, here's another one. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot, Okay, that is a prostitute whose name is Rahab. And they lodge there. So they stay at this lady's house who is uh, probably some, in some ways an outcast. She's definitely a, considered a sinner. Uh, and she's a pagan. Okay, she's not Jewish. And they stay there. Okay, 
Have you ever thought about why they stayed there? I mean, we don't know. Did you, I don't? I have no idea why she's. Well, I know, but like, why they pick Rahab? Like, did they just see her on the street and be like, "Hey, we want to hide in your house"? Well, she was you know? probably an outcast. They didn't want to see her face. Could be. Could be. Well, we so don't know. Maybe. Maybe they thought no one. And also, she also does end up marrying someone. She does. She dug into the line of Christ, so she God used her. Yeah, and maybe God had a hand in where they were staying. Maybe. She could have opened her house too, just like been a hospitable one, because she had already heard of all the things that yes. they had done, and she knew they were Israelites. So you're exactly right. So she, we know that she already heard and knew who the Israelites were. So as soon as she sees Israelites, she may have been like. Okay, I'm going to let them in my house. Because I, she already believed uh, that God was doing things through Israel. She let them in because she wanted to save her and her family. Yeah, she could have thought, this is the opportunity to save me and my family, right? So we don't know exactly why, but there are all these, that's just, I, that was like a total side note. I have no idea where that came from. But it's cool to think about because, as Scout said, in Matthew 5, this is the genealogy of Jesus. So he uses this prostitute in the line of Jesus. Look. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Okay, And so women are not typically mentioned in the genealogy, but they are here because they're special and unique. Ruth nor Rahab was an Israelite to begin with. They weren't born into Israel. Okay, And Rahab was a prostitute. Okay, And she wasn't probably viewed in the best light all the time until God used her, Okay, used even a sinful person in the line of Christ. Okay, this is just we're just touching the surface of these things. This is my this is one of my favorite ones. Okay, Paul and Silas. Okay, and I like this one because it works out for good, but not really for Paul. Okay, but Paul and Silas they go to this place called Philippi, right? And they meet this lady <coughs> who deals in purple. Anybody remember her name? Lydia. Lydia. She deals in purple. She gets saved. They go around. They're they're like teaching, and they're becoming a little more popular. They get incited against, essentially, uh, and the people rise up against them. And look what happens. So the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrate tore off their roads and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Okay, so Paul and Silas get their clothes ripped off, and they get beaten with sticks. Okay, And it's not like your little brother and sister running around hitting you with a twig. Okay, They're getting beaten here. Okay, And when they had struck them many blows, they threw them into prison. Okay, so then they get thrown in prison. So far, not good stuff, right? The commanding jailer, okay, the guy in charge, uh, he was ordered to guard them securely. So, having received such command, this must be an important command, okay? Because he doesn't do this with everybody. Look, he says, well, having received this kind of a command, he threw them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. So, this commanding jailer is like, okay. This guy, these guys must be serious. I'm going to throw them in the in, innermost part. I'm going to shackle their feet. I'm going to make sure they can't get out. Okay, you guys know the story, right? God, they sing some hymns. God breaks everything open. And this commanding jailer is like, I'm toast. So he's going to kill himself. Okay, and then they're still there. And what does he ask them? Why did you kill us? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you'll be saved. Or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and your household. And so... Through all this, okay, if they wouldn't have got beaten and they wouldn't have got um, all ill-treated in that way, this man, this jailer, may not have even believed. You know what I mean? Like he may not have even he didn't he wouldn't have had this opportunity. He wasn't in jail. 
And God used all that to bring about salvation in a whole family's life. Okay? Now, for Paul, he would say, because of who he is, he's just an awesome dude, he would say, yeah, that was, that was all for good. But, like, it, didn't, it still didn't end super good for him, right? And so, through all these things, we see that God uses nasty news, He uses terrible things to bring about good. And what I don't want you to get out of that is everything bad that happens in my life, I will be super blessed here on earth and gain much riches like Abraham because of bad things that happen. Sometimes we don't even see the good that happens. Okay? Sometimes some, somebody gets sick or somebody dies or something happens in your life and you're like, I have no idea how God is using this for good. It just looks evil to me. But God can redeem everything for good. And eventually... Okay, eventually it will all be good, right? It's all going to be made right. And so Jesus, okay, he points them, these disciples, to the future. He points them to an eternal perspective when they have troubling news, when they have bad things that are about to happen. He said, well, you believe God, you trust God, trust me too, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay, now, finally, okay, we see a positive Proclamation. Positive proclamation. Two Ps. Look at verse 4 through 6. It says, And I know, or sorry, and you know the way that I am going, or the way where I am going. Okay, so Jesus says, You know the way that I'm going. You know how to get where I'm going. Okay? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we gonna know the way? Okay, so Thomas, he's like, Jesus, you haven't even told us where you're going. If we don't even know where you're going, how are we going to know how to get there? Like, they're still thinking physical, right? Which leads me to believe that they're not really picturing the crucifixion or the death and the, you know, all that. It's like, I don't know how to get there. I don't even know where you're going, Jesus. So how do I know how to get there? Okay, and what does Jesus say? He says, ego imi. Okay, now. The I am statements thus far have been spoken mainly to crowds, Pharisees, or religious leaders, Martha, and a few other people. And we have seen at times, at least, Jesus not use ego in me when directly talking to his disciples only. Okay? So, the ego in me probably would have got their attention and probably should get our attention too. Because he's talking to the disciples. There's only 11 guys there that we know of, right? And he says, ego imi. Okay? So, Thomas doesn't know the way. So, Jesus says, ego imi, the way. I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except or but through me. No one comes to the Father except or but through me. I am the way. Okay? And he is the way. And he's the only way. To get to the place. Right? He's the only way. We believe in Jesus for eternal life and we get it. And they knew that. Right? They just didn't comprehend everything. Okay? They knew that the Messiah was the way to life. But they just didn't comprehend everything. I think it's interesting. You guys can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Because at the very beginning of the book, he brings these themes um, into, like in the intro. Okay? So look at it if you're there. It says John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, first off, Word right at the very beginning can be truth, right? Okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was? I am the way, the truth, and the? In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light shines in darkness, and darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light in which, uh, there was the true light, Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He's the truth. He's the truth. He enlightens every man. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and through the world, sorry, and though the world did not know him, he came into his own, and the, uh, those who were his own did not receive him. And look at this. This is the way. But as many as did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He's the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way and the truth and the life. So here's the question. Why are these tidings terrific? Okay, why are these tidings terrific? Okay, they're terrific because of who Jesus is. Okay, they're terrific because of who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Because of that, He's going to come get us. He's going to fulfill His promises, right? So because of who Jesus is, the tidings are terrific. Okay, His promises are terrific because of who He is. Okay, so bad news is going to come in our life. Okay, but our response to that news is up to us. Okay, our response to that news is up to us. So our question, where do you turn when things don't go your way? Where do you turn when you get bad news? Okay, this doesn't mean, yes, Jesus. Okay, this doesn't mean that we never cry or we're never sad. However, when you see the troubling news that the disciples have, we see Jesus point them to the eternal, right? So we know that when we get bad news and when things don't go our way, we should be looking to what? Jesus, the eternal. Okay, the eternal. Because Jesus is eternal, right? So yes, Jesus. But the eternal, let's be specific and think about it. How can we have an eternal perspective? Okay, because if you say Jesus and in like something bad happens and you're like, Jesus, 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 just thinking Jesus, okay, is that going to be, you know, what's that going to do? Hopefully that inspires you to think about eternal. Hopefully, you know, and hopefully Jesus comes to, you know, and he helps you through that. But how can we do it? Let's be even more specific. How can you have an eternal perspective in your life? And for each of you, it may be a little bit different, but it's going to be drawing near to God, right? Being close with Him, not just in the bad news, but throughout your entire life, right? If we have an eternal perspective throughout our whole life, that's going to allow us to be able to have that eternal perspective when bad stuff comes, when bad stuff happens. So closest with God, closest with Jesus. There's another really practical thing that I think of. Think about triggers in your life, okay? Triggers. And so, as you go throughout the day, there may be something that you can say, okay, every time I see that, every time I hear that, every time I smell that, I'm going to think about God, and I'm going to think about the eternal, okay? I love this smell of fresh-cut grass, okay? When I smell the mountains, or fresh-cut grass, I have a really sensitive nose, so smelling mostly, but whenever I smell the mountains or the fresh-cut grass, I think, man, God, the Creator, right? And then through that, I can say, man, I can start thinking about eternal. I can say, man, He's prepared a, a perfect place for me. Man, you know, whenever I die, I don't have to worry, you know, or, or whatever. You know, whatever eternal perspective you can start thinking about, that can come through a trigger. Okay, He created creation around us so we can view Him through it. 
Hey, but there can be other things too. I know this girl back in like junior high, and she used to have triggers to pray. Okay, so every time she heard a siren, an alarm, or any any kind of thing like that, uh, she would pray. That was just a trigger for her to say, I'm going to pray whenever this happens. Okay, and it doesn't even have to be specifically about that siren. Okay, but it was just a trigger. And so I think for us practically, we can say, if we want to have a eternal perspective all the time, what are some triggers in my life that I can say, whenever this happens, I'm going to think eternally. I'm going to think about whatever you can say. You can say God, or I'm going to think about creation, or I'm going to think about Jesus' redeeming work, or I'm going to think about the new heaven and new earth, you know, whatever. You know, I'm going to think eternally when this happens. Okay, and so summing it all up, okay, Jesus came, okay, they're talking in the room, he sees their faces, he says, man, they're troubled, they're dismayed, okay, but don't be troubled, you trust God, trust me too, because I'm going, and when I go, that going prepares a place for you, in this house of many apartments, you have a place there, because I'm going, I've taken care of it, I've done the work, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, no one gets to the Father but through me, and because I'm going, you can go too, Okay, let's have the eternal perspective whenever things come in our life. And even when don't, things don't come in our life, hard things. We need to have that eternal perspective. Okay, So this week, let's try and have eternal perspective. Maybe even come up with some triggers in your life that can make you think eternally. All right, let's pray. Well, that's all for True to the Bible podcast this time. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you did, or if you want to listen to some other lessons on Truth to the Bible podcast, make sure that you subscribe or like this podcast. If you have any questions about anything that you heard, or you're interested in how you can be saved, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Again, thanks for joining us for this lesson, and we hope to hear from you soon.